0: Welcome to the sessional. It's titled Insider's View, Preparing for the Exam Room Rock. That's a very cool title. But I'm sure by rock, they didn't mean exams are usually as hard as a rock. Hopefully, we'll dispel all that today um, and shift that rock and discover the pea that's lying underneath that rock. Um, Dave is here to speak to us about that today. Um, I googled him and asked his permission to use this very cool description of him and I think it sort of covers everything. Um, Dave is currently head of research, uh, products and solutions at MMI. Um, He's also, he was head of Actuarial Science and a senior lecturer at UCT. Um, He's an actuary who qualified in 1999 and has also passed the CFA program level three exams. He has completed his master's degree at UCT in 2010 and is currently busy completing his PhD, which investigates asset allocations for default portfolios in defined contribution funds. So it's safe to say he knows quite a bit (laughs) about studying. other than the research Dave is conducting for his PhD, he's also heavily involved uh, with directing research projects for of postgraduate students and is a member of the research committee of the Actuarial Society of South Africa. I hope this is still current, Dave, because <laughs> Google's not always. Okay, more or less. Um, Dave is passionate about actuarial education matters and is a non-executive director of the South African Actuaries Development Program. It um, also says here, yeah, Dave's interests also include travel to exotic locations and enjoying fine food and wine. So, life balance there too. Um, let's welcome Dave and let's hope you'll learn a lot.
1: Thanks, Elisa. It's, um, it's always interesting to hear someone else describe you. never quite sure who that person is that they're talking about. Um, okay, so uh, that... Preparing for the exam room rock was the title that Asa gave me and I figured I couldn't really talk about it if I didn't understand what it was about. So I gave a little bit of thought to what exactly I thought you guys would want to hear. Um, and then I got a bit nervous because I imagined everybody who's sitting here is uh, is figuring hard how they're going to complete these exams and has come here looking for the silver bullet. So I thought I would just manage your expectations from the outset by making clear that there is no silver bullet what I'm hoping to do today is to share with you some thoughts on achieving exam success but the the key theme of today is going to be that it's ultimately all about you guys figuring out your own path and what I want to make very clear is that there are many paths to getting to the destination Um, and really the challenge for each of you is about figuring out what is the path that is right for you what are the things that you need to put in place along the way to make things happen I can guarantee you that no person sitting here today is going to find wisdom in every single thing that I have to say, but I hope there's at least one thing in here that resonates for each of you, that gives you just a little bit of an extra edge in terms of how you, uh, how you tackle these exams. I um, also want to just talk about this in terms of the layers, so it's pretty obvious if we're talking about exam success, we need to talk a little bit about what happens in those three hours in the exam room, right? So it's pretty clear that we're gonna be talking about that. And it's also pretty clear to all of you guys that those three hours in the exam room is the culmination of a whole lot of hard work that's gone before, right? So we need to talk a little bit about your approach to studies. Um, What are the things that you need to think about? How can you be more successful in the way that you apply yourself in preparing for the exam? What's less clear and what I think people spend less time talking about and what I wanna start by talking about today is that all of this stuff happens within a context, which is basically the rest of your life, right? You are not just the person who is sitting down, um, laboring through those uh, those massive files uh, in the hopes of getting through an exam. You're also a person who has a whole lot of other aspects to your persona, all of these things that you've got to keep in balance. So I wanna actually start from the outside in. So let's just talk li- a little bit about um, that context of your life and what are the sort of things that I think you need to think about, the questions that you need to ask yourself um, in order to, this thing still on or have, uh, have I lost you guys? Still gone. Okay. Um, what are the sorts of things that you need to, to think about, the questions you need to ask yourself before you can even start thinking about your study technique and your exam technique? And the first that I think most important of those comes down to your intrinsic motivation why is it that you are putting yourself through the hell that is qualification as an actuary right and if you haven't spent any time grappling with this question i strongly suggest that you do because what i can tell you is that if you don't have that intrinsic motivation if there isn't something deep inside you that is driving you towards that then you're setting yourself up for failure Right, this, is, this is about as long and hard and lonely a route towards quali- a professional qualification as you could possibly wish to have. So just take a moment in uh, the weeks that follow, probably after your next exam, um, to just ask yourself what it is that drives you. Why are you doing this in the first place? Do you have a very clear vision of where it is that you want to be three years, five years, ten years down the line? And is this route that you're walking now, this qualification as an actuary, Is that necessary for you to to get to where you want to be? If it's not, maybe you want to consider what the alternatives are. Does it help you get to to where you want to be? Uh, Are there other possibly better ways of getting to where you want to be? Um, And importantly, uh, one of the kind of key things that I've seen over and over again, and I'm talking mainly about my experience with undergraduates at university now, Um, What I see, where I see people setting themselves up for failure is where that choice of actuarial science as a discipline is not something that's come from within, but it comes from perhaps family pressures, this recognition that you're good at maths, therefore you must qualify as an actuary. That's the kind of the the obvious route. So these are the questions you need to ask yourself. Are you clear on why you're doing what you're doing? And I would encourage all of you guys to take a moment to actually think through this. Um, and if you take a moment right now and you decide that it's not well, you know, grab yourself a glass of wine. And because the rest of the the rest of uh, of today's talk is going to be aimed at those of you who have decided that this is something that you um, this is a road that you you do want to walk. Um, and so, what what can I tell you that is going to help you to to walk along that? I just want you to think first of all about where the studies fit into your overall life balance and priorities. If you think about the the dimensions of yourself, there are a whole host of them, right? Obviously, central, you've all recently emerged into the workplace. Um, Work and career progression is going to be a major part of your identity, a major part of your life goals. Um, And obviously, allied with that is, oops, that is not what I expected to see. I don't quite know how I did that and I'm sure I couldn't do it again if I tried, but uh, we're back where we want to be. Studying and qualifying is obviously another major dimension of, of yourself, right? And these are probably the two that you spend most of your waking hours thinking about. But don't forget that there are many other aspects that are equally important. There's your relationships with other people, your partner, your family, your friends, your social circle, right? And there's your relationship with yourself, your own sense of well-being. Um, included under this is uh, you know, making sure that you get enough sleep, that uh, your diet and exercise are right, that if you are um, a religious person, that that side of your, uh, your, your personality is fulfilled. And the beautiful thing about Venn diagrams is that it, it reveals exactly how small is the sweet spot in all of that. Right? Your goal as a human being is to make sure that you're operating in that sweet spot in the middle and that all of these aspects of yourself are in balance. But the reality, as you know, is if you can uh, accept that as a long term goal in the short term, these things tend to come into conflict with each other, don't they? So how do you go about finding the right balance? So, There's no easy answer to this, quest- to this question, but it is a question that each of you needs to take very seriously. So I mean, this is a fundamental economic problem you have a scarce resource, which in your case is your time, and you have basically unlimited wants. You want to be successful in your career, you want to qualify quickly, you want to have a social life, you want to get enough sleep and exercise. All of these things are goals that you want to achieve, right? But you have a very scarce resource, your time, in order to achieve them. So in the short term, you are going to have to make some trade-offs. There are going to be some conflicts. Those are just a fact of life. And if you don't manage those well, They're going to have an influence on your studies as well as all of the other aspects of your life. So you need to get into the mindset of figuring out how best to manage these conflicts that are going to rear their heads from time to time. And recognize that all of those dimensions of your life are important, right? Um, What you want ultimately is some uh, sense of yourself that spans across all of those domains. That you feel satisfaction on, uh, on all of those fronts. Um, And you need to manage those short-term conflicts such that you can achieve that long-term goal. And that's much easier said than done, Um, but it is really important. And the one um, major point that I want to make today is probably the biggest source of conflict between those is the conflict between work and studies. And this is why you need to go back to that question of what is your intrinsic motivation? Where is it that you want to be? What is going to help you get there? and figure out exactly how important these studies and quick qualification is to the achievement of those goals. right? And then make sure that your life is organized in such a way that you can realize those objectives. Right? There needs to be a long-term harmony between your work and your studies. If there isn't that harmony, then conflict is going to arise. Okay? And let me tell you that if you are experiencing more than short-term conflict between the two of them, if you're constantly feeling like work is not set up to allow you to be successful in your exams and you've decided that success in your exams is an important part of what you need to achieve, then you are probably in the wrong job and you need to think about that very, very carefully. Okay, so that's just a set of things that I want to, I want to leave you thinking about uh, in terms of the management of your life. Let's get onto some of the, the practical stuff then, right? Studying. So I know this is not particularly helpful, but the main thought that I want to, re- to, to leave you with is that um, what will what'll help you with the achieving success in your study is figuring out whatever works for you, right? It is that simple. Uh, the pe- uh, the people can offer you all sorts of tips and techniques and study tricks. Some of those are going to work for you, some are not, right? Your challenge is actually to figure out which are the ones that work for you and make use of those and ignore the ones that don't work for you. Just because it works for your buddy doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you. Each of you are unique, and part of your challenge is actually figuring out what is the approach to studies that works best for you. So I know that's not particularly helpful, so I did think long and hard about how can I leave you with something that I think will be helpful. Um, So I kind of collected together all of the tips and tricks that I offer undergrad students, um, and then try to think, how can I package them in such a way that you might actually stand a chance of remembering them when you, when you leave today? Um, so I thought I needed to come up with some kind of a cheesy acronym. Um, and pride seemed like a good word to use. So what I have in mind here is uh, those five elements are planning, reviewing your plans, individualizing your study, which is all about figuring out what works for you, diversifying your study, so not just doing one thing and hoping that that is going to achieve success for you in the exams, but employing a whole range of techniques. And then finally putting in effort, but making sure that it is focused effort. Okay. So if you remember nothing else from today, remember these things. Uh, and I'm going to try and unpack each of those for you now. So I'm planning, what I mean is first of all, plan your approach to the exams in general. Right? So this is questions like, in what order are you gonna tackle the exams? And there's nothing to say that you must tackle them in the order that's set out, but if you are going to do something uh, a little bit original in terms of the way you tackle the exams, ask yourself the question, does this make sense? Right? What is my reason for doing this? And bear in mind that they haven't been randomly ordered. Right? The Actual Society spent time about thinking about what are the things that provide a foundation for the next phase? So those A1 and A2 or CT exams provide the technical foundation that you're going to need going into A301. And very important point, A301 is an incredibly important foundation for the F1 and F2 subjects. Okay, And I know uh, who, who in this room has had trouble with the A301 exam, the CA1 exam. You can be honest now, admit it. Okay. There are there, there are a few of you, and it's not surprising, right? That is an absolute monster of a course, right? It's the most disheartening feeling in the world uh, to find that you have failed A301 because you know you've got to wade through all of that material yet again. So there's a big temptation in those circumstances to say, I'm going to leave this one for a while, and I'm just going to skip ahead to the, to the F1 subjects, okay? Um, and I, that may be a viable option for you, but what I can tell you is that the, the, the studies that we have done on those statistics where we've compared the results of students who have um, passed A301 with those who have not yet passed it at F1 level, so students who have passed A301 are between four and five times more likely to pass the F1 subject. Okay? That makes complete sense because it is assumed knowledge in those later subjects. Okay? So as difficult uh, a task as it is to slay that A301 dragon, Um, it is worth focusing on and making sure that you get that in place before you move on to the rest. And then you want to plan your approach to each exam. So planning entails getting a very realistic view of how much time you're going to be able to devote to it. So take account of your work obligations. Take account of your social obligations. um, Anything else that you do that you know is going to eat time. Don't uh, assume that you're going to be able to put in six hours of study on... Uh, on every workday. Realistically, we all know that's not going to work, right? So you need to figure out realistically how much time can you devote to it. And make sure that when you're planning, that you split your mind between the two primary objectives of, first of all, storing the knowledge. So how do I get that knowledge off the page and into my head? And then how do I test my ability to apply it? Because that's what what you're going to be examined on, right? An exam day, the examiners are going to want to know not only have you acquired that knowledge, but are you actually able to apply it in practice? And the only way to test yourself, uh, the, be, well, the best way to test your application of it is, uh, is obviously doing past papers. Okay. Um, and then going along with this is have frequent reviews of that plan. So the brutal reality is no matter how carefully you plan, life is gonna get in the way. Okay? You are going to end up in a situation where you sit down and look at that plan, Um, And yeah, maybe there's one person sitting here who's not going to experience this next exam session, but I doubt it very much. I think we're probably all going to be in a situation where you look at that plan and realize that I have not achieved what I wanted to achieve. Okay. At that point in time, you can spend a lot of energy in kind of kicking yourself for what you have failed to achieve so far. and just, you've got to realize that that's a complete waste of time. Your focus has got to be on, so, okay, how do I adapt my plan now? Given what the time that's now available to me between now and the exam, what's the most effective use of it going forward? Okay? And that continual periodic reviewing of your plans uh, is the thing that is going to, uh, going to keep you on course and make sure that you are doing at any point in time the best that you can with what you have available. Okay, then the individualization. I can't stress importantly enough how important it is to find what works for you. All right, so you need to find a steady environment that is conducive to productivity. How many of you study with um, iPads or phones uh, somewhere close, close at hand? You wanna stop doing that stuff uh, as soon as you possibly can. Um, uh, those, those distractions will be a killer. Right. But so you need to find a place that has uh, the quiet that you need, the ambience that you need, the light that you need and the freedom from distractions that you need. You need to figure out what time of day works best for you. So for me personally, it was early morning. That's when my brain is freshest. So in my my last few exams, I would be up at 430 or 5 every morning before work. And I would know by the time I got to work, I'd put in a solid two or three hours of, of studying. And then I didn't feel any pressure in the evening when my brain was tired to do it. But that doesn't work for everybody, right? You might be one of those people who, you know, it takes six cups of coffee and five hours before you can even form a coherent sentence. It's pointless then you trying to do all of your studying in the morning, right? You need to figure out the time of day that's going to work for you. And you also need to figure out what are the duration of your study spurts that can work and what sort of breaks do you need in between? Okay, There may be people sitting here who have those impressive powers of concentration where you can sit down for two hours straight and still be absorbing information. Not me. Uh, after about half an hour or 45 minutes, my brain has had enough and I then need to take a short break and refresh it before I can get back to it. Okay? But again, it's an individual thing. You have to figure out what works best for you and then organize your study life around that. Um, and then diversify your methods of studying. So I said earlier that you need to split your time between storing the knowledge and testing your ability to apply it. Uh, and that means that the cornerstone of your study practice is going to be the two kind of classics of actuarial studying. First of all, reading the notes. And secondly, doing past papers, testing your ability to apply what you have learnt in the notes. Okay? But that shouldn't be all that you do. Um, What you need to recognize is that there are a number of different learning styles and we each uh, have strengths and weaknesses in those, right? People may learn visually, in which case you will learn best by reading. Uh, You may learn best in auditory fashion, so you actually learn better by hearing um, what is said than by reading it on a page. You may only acquire it by actual physical learning, by going and, and doing. So an example with the technical exams, you know, It may be that you're not going to actually be able to absorb a particular mathematical technique by reading about it. You've actually got to go and take a problem and, fi- and figure it out for yourself and crunch through the numbers before you can actually master it. Okay? Again, figure out what works best for you. But it's not a case of picking one of those and using it exclusively. You actually need to broaden your, um, your study practice and use as many of those as you possibly can. Um, one of the biggest tips that I can offer... Um, is to supplement your solo efforts with group study. Uh, If you're in the lucky position that you're working with people or friends with people who are writing the same exam, figure out a way of getting into a room frequently with those people where you can have a group study session. Uh, So there's two main advantages of that. There's There's a major academic advantage in the sense that if I take any group of three or four of you who are studying the same thing and I put you around a table, Your collective understanding of any aspect of the syllabus is going to be better than anyone's individual understanding. You're going to get a better result by sharing your interpretations, by talking about things, by learning from each other. And the second major benefit is psychological. It just doesn't feel like such a long, lonely process if you are surrounded by people who are going through the same torture as you are. The brain learns through repetition, so don't expect that you're going to be able to read the notes once and it's going to just embed. If you have a photographic memory, good luck to you. The majority of us are not that fortunate, and it's only by repetition over and over again that we're able to get that stuff to to lodge in our brains, which means that you have got to make enough time and put in the effort to do it. Um, You need to make space for both what I call the top-down and bottom-up development of knowledge. By top-down, I mean for each of those courses, having some kind of a sense of how the whole course fits together. What are the main topics in this course? How do they interrelate with with, with each other? And if you have that sense, it's amazing. It's almost like having kind of coat hooks, right? And then when you start acquiring the knowledge from the bottom up, you actually have a hook to hang that knowledge on. If you don't have that hook, you don't have that sense of how everything fits together, that stuff tends to slip through your fingers much more more easily. So I mean, there are different techniques that you can explore, but what worked very well for me from a top-down point of view was mind maps. So I would make sure that I had a mind map for the course overall and for each section of the course, and they gave me a very visual sense of how that course fit fit together. And in, particularly in the later subjects where you have those kind of complex sections that, you know, you've got a a scenario that draws on multiple parts of the course. uh, It was much easier for me to think through how I would construct that answer. What are the bits of the course that might come in uh, and, and, and be handy in this? But it's not enough just to have that high level sense. You obviously, you only pass actuarial exams if you have knowledge of the, of the detail as well. When you get to F1 and F2 level, unfortunately, you can make a strong case, and I'm very happy to to, uh, to discuss this any time with, with, with any of you, you can make a strong case that the best way to test your ability to be an actuary would not be giving you a three-hour written exam that's closed book. Right? That's probably not the ideal way of doing it. Unfortunately for you and for me, that is the system that we're stuck with. And what that means is that you need to have... That knowledge at your fingertips so again from personal experience the technique that worked really well for me me there was mnemonics so all of those lists that were in in the notes uh, you know I would have initial letters for each of those that would spell out some stupid word or make some sentence in my head which sounds ridiculous but it was a really good way of remembering those things and it meant that when I got into the exam situation I had that stuff at my fingertips Right? Um, I didn't need to worry that that's, that, that information was going to slip away from me. Now that may or may not work for you, but if that doesn't work for you, you need to find something else that will. There's a whole host of other things that you could uh, you could explore. Uh, if you learn in auditory fashion rather than visual, don't just sit there reading. Right? Actually ask yourself questions and answer them aloud. Um, your partner or housemate might think you mad, but that's a small price to pay for exam success. Right? Um, yeah, Think, think aloud, don't just, uh, don't just keep it quiet. Uh, write summaries from memory, so you just read a chapter, did you actually absorb what was in that chapter? Well a good way to do that is to close your file and actually write for yourself a summary of what you've just learned. Go back to the chapter summary and see to what extent it tallies, what have you misunderstood, what have you missed out on. Um, you can empl- em- employ flashcards um, and then particularly when you get to F1 and F2 level. What's really important is that you read widely, right? Understand what is going on in uh, the world of financial services and the economy more broadly. And always ask yourself the question, how does what I'm learning relate to what I'm reading about? Is there some way I can make sense of this in terms of the theory that I'm learning from, uh, from the subject? Okay. So the point of these is make sure that you use a wide array of study techniques. Don't just bank on one or two and hope that that's going to get you through the exams. And find out through experience what are the techniques that work best for you and focus on those. And then finally, putting in effort with focus. Okay? So if you want to be successful in these exams, you are going to have to both work hard, so you're really going to have to put in the hours, believe me there's no substitute for it, but you're also going to have to work smart. Okay? It's not just the case of the number of hours that you put in at your desk. Um, There are some very lucky people out there. I'm sure we have all met one or two of these annoying types who are successful in exams without really breaking a sweat Right? We've all seen one or two of them in one or two exams. Those are the very lucky. Uh, It's a really bad idea to plan on being lucky. Um, that, that, That very rarely works out. So you need to organize yourself to get the most out of every single hour that you put into studies. So that goes back to the previous slide. Learn in a style and an environment that works for you, that is conducive to your productivity. If you put in fewer hours, but with laser beam concentration, you're going to be more successful than if you're putting in a lot of hours, but where your focus is only half there. You're constantly distracted. You're not really focusing on what's going on. The best solution, of course, is to put in more hours with laser beam concentration and that's what you should be aiming for. And then put your studies down when you're not actively studying. Put in the effort there and then you can reward yourself by actually leaving that stuff psychologically behind you when you are not actively studying. I guarantee this is the best recipe for success. And look for support where you can find it, so if you've got a group, uh, a group study team going together, you know, they will help you and motivate you and give you insights into the course that you don't have. But you should also look for support in the workplace. Okay? Remember that your senior colleagues, wherever you work, have a vested interest in your exam success. Okay? And if that doesn't ring true for you, if you don't think that that holds, then once again I would say to you, you are probably in the wrong job and you need to go and find an environment where your senior colleagues are interested in your, uh, your exam success. And then we come up to exam day. All right, so let's start with uh, a little bit before that in the, the week leading up to the exam. These are the things that I think are important. In the same way as we're reviewing your plans all along, focus on what you can do in the time you've got left, not on what you haven't done so far. Okay, what's the most productive use of the time that you have available to you? Even if that time is only a few days, right, it is time that's available to you to make a difference, to give yourself more chance of exam, exam success. What is the most productive stuff that you can do in that time? And again, you've got a balance between making sure that you've stored the knowledge, but also making sure that you're testing your ability to apply it, so doing, doing past papers. Make sure that you don't burn yourself out, right? especially not the day or the night before the exam. So there's a big tendency to panic the day before, to realize that you haven't done enough, to think that somehow in 24 hours you're going to be able to compensate for the three months where you haven't put in enough effort, right? and to then just go at it hard, um, work yourself to the bone uh, in the hope that this is somehow going to carry you over the line. I guarantee you, in that circumstance, you are much better served by going over some summaries, trying to make sure that you have some some sense of the course, so able to apply some of that that knowledge, but just relaxing. Okay, the, by getting yourself into that kind of a frenzy, you are setting yourself up for exam failure. Okay, and I said earlier you want to find this time of the day that works best for your studies, but Try to remember that you are going to be writing an exam that probably starts at 9 a.m., okay? So if the time that works best for you is 3 a.m., and you've now got yourself into into that brilliant cycle in your last 10 days of study leave, and you are awake and mentally alert and taking that information in at 3 a.m., that's fantastic, but on exam day, If your brain thinks it's supposed to be asleep at 9am, it's not suddenly going to switch out of that and realize that it needs to be mentally alert, right? You've actually got to train yourself into that situation. So you need to make sure in that week leading up to exam day that in those three hours that are going to be the critical three hours for you, that's the time when your brain is most awake and refreshed and alert, because that's when it's going to count. And okay, so my most important tip is exam day looms. Okay. And and genuinely, if you can only take one thing out of of today, it would be this tip. I truly believe it is the most important piece of advice uh, that any actuarial student can receive, Um, and it comes from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's simply this, don't panic, all right? Um, The most likely, if you've actually put in the hard yards, if you've actually um, had your plan three months before, and you've more or less stuck to it, and we know you've had a few trip ups along the way, and you've had to review, and there was that work deadline that got in the way, and you didn't quite achieve what you wanted to do, but you have actually put in hard yards, you have actually invested your time, you have done your best to get to grips with the course material. The most likely thing that's gonna trip you up on exam day is not gonna be your lack of preparedness, it is going to be the fact that you've got yourself tense and actually unable to just relax and let what you've studied flow. Okay. So if you can somehow, and again, this is one of those things that's easier said than done, right? Exams are stressful. It's something you got to deal with. But find some way of dealing with that exam stress. I always felt that I was most likely to be successful in an exam where I got to the point at 8 o'clock in that morning where I thought, okay, I actually don't care about this anymore. I just want to go and get this, get this thing over. Usually when I felt that, the exam tended to, to, to go well. Um, Okay, that's not, uh, not massively useful in any kind of detailed way, so I better give you guys some general exa- exam tips as well. Um, my biggest tip there is that it is all about the question. Okay, so first of all, read the question. Okay? The question is your friend. The examiners, I guarantee you, have spent a lot of time thinking about exactly what are the words that we're going to put into this question. Right. So look in the question for hints and tips and what are the important components of it? The examiners will have tried very hard not to put in stuff there that is completely unimportant or superfluous. If it's in there, it's trying to direct you towards uh, the, the sort of solution that the examiners are looking for. And that's really got to be your mindset, right? What did the examiners expect of me in this question? Um, the two major guidelines are number one, the instruction verb. So we're talking mainly here about the later exams. Uh, obviously in the earlier exams the instruction verb is, uh, is quite often going to be calculate. Um, but in the later exams there is a big difference between state and describe and explain. Make sure you understand what each of those mean so you've got a sense of what the examiners are looking for. And the other big guideline is going to be the mark allocation. That tells you how detailed In how much depth do the examiners expect me to go? How much time can I reasonably expect to spend on this question? Okay. Then having read the question, make sure that you answer the question. What I mean is answer the question that's been asked, not what I've seen a million times, the question that you wish you had been asked. <laughs> and then ask yourself at the end of it, have I offered enough here in enough depth to justify the marks that are on offer? And if you can give yourself a tick on that front, you can feel happy and move on to the the next question. And the final tip is, answer all the questions. Okay? If uh, lo- lots of people ask me, well, if I if I leave out a question, am I definitely going to fail? No, absolutely not. If you answer 80% of the question of the questions, uh, and you know you you answer those at an 80 or 85% level, you're going to be absolutely fine. Very few people do that, right? Your best chance of getting through this is making sure that you've actually put down something on all of the questions on offer. So what's the important thing if you're gonna answer all of the questions? How you manage your time during the exam, right? So this is uh, an absolutely critical component of exam success. If you haven't managed to get on top of your time management yet, do yourself a huge favor and make it a focus of yours. Right? it's as important as learning the material in your next exam. Is actually making sure that you can manage your time in such a way that you are going to be able to devote the right amount of time to each question. So my suggestion is you manage your time really, really strictly. Um, generally, you have 180 mark. Um, sorry, 180 minutes, right, for 100 marks. So that's uh, simple mathematics tells you that's 1.8 minutes per mark. But if you can manage to do them in, say, somewhere between 1.5 and 1.7, that gives you enough time to get through the paper and also have to to have some time at the end to just go back and review your answers. It's funny how in the heat of the moment you can forget some point that when you go back and look at it, you know, it's been working away in the back of your brain without you even realizing it, um, and you have the opportunity then to, to add that. Remember that there is nothing written into South African legislation that says that you have to answer the questions in the order that the examiners have set them. So you need to figure out what strategy works best for you. What worked best for me was identifying which of the questions I feel most confident about and starting with those. Okay? And that worked for me on two levels because in the first instance, I could do those questions pretty quickly. I get ahead of the time curve, I give myself a little bit of a buffer in case I run into time problems elsewhere. Secondly, it just builds confidence, right? I, and I don't know about you, but I would rather feel confident for the first two and three quarter hours of the exam and then realize at the end there's a question where I feel like a complete idiot than feel like an idiot at the beginning and it takes me two and three quarter hours to recover from that uh, before I start feeling good about myself again. Um, and then remember the law of diminishing marginal utility. hope that's a concept that uh, remains in your heads from economics. It applies in actuarial exams as well, okay? If you don't manage your time strictly, you are going to feel like, okay, I'm nearly finished this question. Uh, I know it's time for me to move on to the next one, but I have a bit more to say, and I'm just gonna write the next half a page, right? It won't take me too long to get through that, and I'll recover the time elsewhere bad mistake okay if you've got another sentence to write by all means go and write it right i don't mean to suggest you must stop immediately when uh, your time allocation for that question ends but generally speaking if you're going to go and write another half a page and that's going to take you know three or four minutes of your your very valuable time the marginal gain that you're going to get from that maybe that's going to generate another half a mark or a mark in your overall performance versus the marginal gain that you get from devoting that same amount of time to the start of another question. If that's gonna gain you two or three marks, well the trade-off seems obvious, right? It's a much harder one to make in the heat of the moment, but if you can manage your time strictly, you will avoid falling into that trap of running down rabbit holes in pursuit of very little value in terms of overall marks and rather devoting that time to where where you can earn more of those marks. then just a few so you can just get a sense from um, who is still busy with the CTs or the a1 a2 subjects okay quite a few of you and then who's now moved on to a301 the f1 subjects the f2 subjects okay so about 40, 40 60 so this is as you know there's quite a, a, a fundamental change in approach here, right? Um, you, generally speaking, you're moving from these exams that are very mathematically focused into shock horror exams where you know there's actual words that you have to uh, have to use in your uh, in your responses. Um, so this there is a fundamental change in mindset um, that has to happen as part of this this transition, uh, and one of the difficulties is that this now brings to the fore any language challenges. Right? Uh, many of you sitting here uh, will not be first language English speakers, so it's that much more difficult. And even some of you who grew up speaking English, I know maths is really your first language, so English is kind of, kind of a second language. Um, so this is going to be a challenge, right? And a, a difficult challenge to overcome. So all I can offer is some general guidelines on how I think you can overcome those language challenges. And you are gonna have to invest time and effort in order to do so. Uh, first of all, use the glossaries in the courses so that all of the terminology uh, is something that is familiar to you. Secondly, read as much and as widely as you can. Right? The more that you get used to thinking about the subject matter and thinking about it in English, um, the easier it is going to be to deal with a similar sort of situation when you need to write those answers in English under exam conditions. You can get friends and colleagues to review your attempts at past exam questions. Um, It's very tempting when you mark your own work to give yourself more credit than you probably do, right? So I think we've probably all fallen into this trap. You get much more honest feedback if you get someone else to read it. And you can say, look, uh, I know you think you've addressed the point in the the model answers here, but frankly, I don't understand the sentence that you've written here. That's useful feedback, um, and you should get as much of it as you can and figure out what you need to do in order to improve that communication. Um, and secondly, when you do past papers, first of all, by the way, you don't need to, if you do a past paper, do that whole three-hour paper in one sitting, right? It can be very useful practice just to take a couple of questions and to do those. You think about ra- running a marathon. You don't train for a marathon by going and running a marathon week after week, right? You tra- train in in, uh, in shorter spurts. Um, so, you can take a couple of questions, but when you do those, make sure that you do them under exam conditions, so you give yourself the amount of time that you would have in the exam. In fact, it can be good practice even to give yourself slightly less time than that. And do them in full. Actually write out the full answer, or if you're going to be typing, you know, type type the, the, the full answer. Don't be tempted to say, t- it's just about testing whether I understand, so I'm just going to kind of write it out in shorthand. That doesn't give you the preparation and the practice that you need um, to thrive under exam conditions on exam day. The second thing that the, the later exams introduces that will be a new concept is this thing called reading time. Uh, where you've got 15 minutes at the start of the exam where you can't write anything on your answer script but you do have time to read the questions. Okay. Have they introduced that? No. Okay, so I'm way out of uh, of touch, but that's good news because that means what I'm about to say applies to the whole room and not just 60% of the room as I previously thought. Um, If you think about your attempt at the exam as an assault on a mountain, right? You're gonna scale Mount Everest now. That reading time is base camp. It's the time where you collect your thoughts and actually figure out this is the path that we're gonna take up the mountain, okay? It's incredibly valuable 15 minutes. Do not underestimate what a difference this can make to your chances of exam success. Use that time to read the questions. Use the time to highlight the key aspects in the questions, underline or highlight just so that that stands out to you when you come back to actually answering that that question later. use the time to make brief notes. It is reading time but there is no law against writing on the, the question paper. All right? So if you have some thoughts about this is the approach that I'm going to take to answer it, use the time to make those brief notes. If there's a list that you're trying to recall from the, the notes that you know is relevant, make notes of your mnemonic or whatever technique you're using to remember that so you know, you've got it there when you, you come back to actually writing it out later. And really importantly, use the time to plan your time allocation. So if you are going to manage your time strictly, what that means is figuring out for each of those questions, how much time can you afford to spend on it, right? And also to plan the order in which you're going to answer the questions. And you know, it may be that answering questions 1 to 10 in order is the strategy, strategy that works best for you. But I would encourage you, as you're doing past papers, to kind of experiment with that and see whether actually mixing up the order is not does not lead to better outcomes for you. Uh, but I can't stress enough the importance of this reading time and the value that it potentially has in um, setting you up for the next three hours and for making sure that you're successful. Okay. Then there is this uh, this kind of common perception. So. I don't know if it's been your experience as well, but uh, in my, my experience uh, apart from actuarial exams I never ever can remember writing an exam where I felt under any kind of time pressure. I would always be finished like way before the time allocated, but I've never ever had that experience in an actuarial exam, right? These are the most time pressured th- things that you can possibly engage in. So there's a temptation here to think that there's three hours right? I know I'm going to be under immense pressure. There's so much that I've got to actually communicate to the examiners. So any minutes that I spend without pen on paper or without my fingers on the keyboard is a minute wasted. That's a myth that you need to get out of your heads completely. Okay? Um, some good general advice for life is um, to think a little bit more and talk a little bit less than you might, uh, might be naturally inclined. And this applies equally in actuarial exams, right? Think a little bit more and write a little bit less than you would be naturally inclined. What you're gonna find is if at the start of each of those questions, you take a minute to collect your thoughts, right? To think through what is the structure of my answer going to be? Okay, it's one thing if it's just the repetition of a bullet list, fine, go for it, get that out. But if this is one of those application type questions, and you need to think about okay, how would I handle the situation in practice? What are the things I need to think about? You're going to be making a big mistake if you dive in immediately and start writing, because that answer is probably going to be haphazard. You're probably going to miss points. You're probably going to waffle in areas that are not going to get you any credit. If you just take that minute to think a little bit more about the structure of your answer, what are the important points to get across? What's relevant from the notes? What's not relevant? I guarantee you'll be much more focused. You might you will find that you need to write a little bit less, but that actually the less that you write is probably worth more than what you would have written before so I know this is a hard instinct to fight, but again, you need to in your uh, preparation for exams and your attempts at past papers, you need to get into that habit of thinking before you put pen to paper so just finally, in conclusion, again, repeating my main theme that's the challenge of these actuarial exams and the really diverse array of experiences that you are all going to go through in getting there means that you've really got to find your own path, okay? You've got to, you've got to figure out how to pilot your, your own ship or you're gonna end up at some places that you, uh, you really didn't want to be. But piloting your own ship doesn't mean that you have to fly completely solo, okay? You don't need to face these challenges all alone. Along the way there are going to be people who are going to offer you support, who are going to offer you help. Uh, you should not be shy in asking for help and support from people who can help you and in asking for advice from people who've been there before. And what you'll find is that the vast majority of actuaries uh, remember the pain and torture of getting through these exams and will be only too willing to share their experiences, their thoughts uh, and their help in, uh, in, in helping you get uh, get through those exams. So that ladies and gentlemen uh all of my thoughts for today if um i think we're gonna we're gonna take some some questions so we can chat more about this now but if uh, if you want to get hold of me um, with any further questions at a later stage my email addresses are down there you're more than welcome to to email me with any questions that you have uh or indeed any suggestions for future asset discussions things that you uh, that, that you think might be useful for, uh, for for students to hear anything of today that you want to unpack further thank you very much
0: thanks a lot if you have questions i'll i'll bring this little gadget to you Thanks thanks so much. I think you mentioned the word plan about 23 times in your speech. <laughs> I'm lying, I didn't count, but um, that's really what stood out for me. Uh, there's a saying that says, uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I think that's that's really true. Um, so, questions?
1: For the technical subjects, would it be worthwhile doing the QA bank and the X series, or just rather go straight for the past papers? Like, do those in examine general? enough the... Difficulty of the past papers? I think that you look, there's no substitute for past papers. Okay, so the past papers are your best yardstick of the type of questions that you're likely to see on exam day. So if you have limited time, uh, then past papers would be my recommendation. But quite frankly, my general recommendation is to do as much as you possibly can. Um, so if you are planning, three or four months in advance right what you should be aiming to do is Q&A bank questions, assignment questions and past papers right the whole the whole shooting match the more that you do um the the better off you're likely to be but I just want to offer one word of caution there particularly for the technical subjects because I think this is a trap that people often get into um it's actually it's a little more fun to do past papers than it is sometimes to study the theory. Okay? Past papers are not a substitute for studying the theory. They're there to test your ability to apply it. Right? They're not there to help you, to, for, for you to learn it in the first place. Um, so you should resist the urge to just do past papers until you've actually bedded down the theory from the notes. And when you do those questions, right, uh, there's another natural tendency when you um, encounter difficulties with a particular question, to just have a quick peek at the solution. Um, and then um, to convince yourself that, you know, actually in exam conditions, you would have been fine. You would have remembered how to do that. Um, it's funny how we managed to delude ourselves on, the, on that point. But it, it, in those situations, it is worth your while to actually just persevere with that, like stare at that thing until your forehead bleeds for a little bit. Um, and when you f- you at- you finally can't uh, can't get through it, okay, sure, the solution is going to be be your friend, um, but make sure that you have done everything in your power to answer that question before you give in to that that temptation. That answer your question. Cool.
2: Thank you so much for giving us this valuable knowledge. Um, I must say I've been struggling to get through my exams, but I know it's also partly because I wasn't doing the right thing. Um, even though I had time to study, I probably was not focused And all the things that you've highlighted. I wanna know like uh, some thoughts that I've been having. Is it advisable to, maybe if you're not coping, to sort of like take a year off and just focus on the studies, get them out of the way? Would you, how would you actually uh, advise on that? And just on that as well, I've also been advised that with the latest subject, the um, experience that you get while you're working is also valuable in actually helping you through the exams. So, if you can just um, give your views on those two points.
1: <laughs> sure, you. most pleasure. So, on the on the first question, whether it's advisable to you know take time off uh, in order to make sure of those exams. Um, based on an ex- exhaustive sample of two people I know who've done that, <laughs> um, both of them were successful. But unfortunately, I don't think I don't think I can give any generic advice there. It's uh, it's one of those things where you have to find your find your own path, right? Before you take that decision, I think you've got to ask yourself the question of why do I think I'm not successful in these exams? Right, and I, I think to some extent you've answered your own question there. Right, you said you've had the time to study. It's not work that's been getting in your way. Um, it's been about your focus. So I would say before you, you know, give up your job and uh, and your income for a year, maybe you want to think about whether there are things um, that you could be doing differently in the way that you approach your studies um, that would allow you to be successful while still working. Um, on the second question, there's absolutely no doubt that um, having some working experience, particularly in the field in which you're studying, makes some difference at F1 and F2 level. Less so at F1 because it's more about the principles and most of those are to be found in the course notes. Right? So you're not going to be... But what is really helpful is uh, e- even at F1 level as examiners, so we're not going to take a situation from... Um, you know what's happened in the so Brexit African Bank, right? We're not going to take that exact situation and ask you a question on it in the way that we might do at F2 level, but we might very well use those events as inspiration for some kind of hypothetical scenario, right? Where we tease out the key elements of it and ask you to uh, to to to, to uh, give your thoughts on that uh, on that particular scenario. So. Working in the area does give you a natural advantage at f two level It is a significant advantage um i think it's it's really it's so much easier um if you are working in life insurance say uh, to take on f two o two than it would be if you were working in another area or or not working at all just because you spend. You know eight or more hours a day um, exposed to exactly the key sorts of things that are likely to feature in the exam um, so the it's difficult to replicate that if you if you're not working in the, in that environment, but it's not impossible obviously to pass an f two exam without working students do it at every every setting, so I hope that answers the question.
3: I have two questions. Of course um, you do Sonny. cheese thanks Dave. Um, the first one um, is based off how I tend to blame everyone else for, you know, when things go wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always these theories about how marking happens and, you know, there's a bar curve, there's picking out of a hat, um, us as trying to make money out of us and all these things. Why isn't there a set pass mark that we can all know and work towards I mean, I know the 60% is you know, pretty much what we kind of work around, but why don't we just know that, you know, like in general 50% is a pass mark, or why doesn't Asa just tell us?
1: The the main difficulty there is that that doesn't allow um, any scope for the external examiner to adjust that in line with the kind of after-the-fact difficulty of the exam. Okay, So there are two levels to moderating an exam. Okay, the first of them is when you look at that exam, um, as a team of examiners, and then as an external examiner reviewing it, you're asking yourself the question, are all of these questions reasonable? Is it a reasonable spread across the syllabus? And in terms of difficulty level, does it look like the the, the papers that have gone before? Okay, so you have a bunch of people applying their minds to trying to make sure that there's a reasonably consistent difficulty level. Unfortunately those are human beings which means that there is not always a completely consistent difficulty level and sometimes as examiners you don't actually realize quite how easy or quite how hard a particular question might have been until you see the extent to which students flew through or more often struggled with it, right? So not having a fixed pass mark gives the examiners the flexibility to be able to say, um, you know, this exam in retrospect, because of that question, was probably a little bit more difficult than it has been in the past, so we're going to have a slightly lower pass mark for this session than we have had in the past. If we had a fixed mark, um, obviously that flexibility disappears. um, And I suspect you would find as many reasons to be unhappy with that situation if not more than you would with the current situation. I haven't, conv- I haven't convinced you, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's the thinking anyway.
3: All right, um, and then the second one is just on the, so the F-Series um, exams, I mean you mentioned reading wider on yep. them and whatnot, but given the time pressures and everything else that you were talking about, one can only read so much and also remember so much do you actually advise someone taking notes and learning the um, additional reading as much as they would um, the core reading, especially for the fellowship subject?
1: No is the short answer to that. Um, so I, I don't think it's about, it's about learning it, right? Because I don't think it's actually necessary to learn it. It might be useful taking some notes about uh, you know, if you read a particularly thoughtful piece on um, the implications of Brexit for UK pension funds, and you are writing the pensions mm-hmm. exam, it might be useful. You know, if there's some insights there that you hadn't thought of before, it might be useful making those notes because you know you'll be able to refresh your memory with it. But no, I I, I, I feel like the benefit that you get from that wider reading is by bringing it into your everyday life, right? That is just part of your routine. To read, the Business Day, the Financial Mail, the Financial Times, the Economist, um, and that that uh, the benefit almost seeps in by osmosis, right? By um, constantly having at the forefront uh, what is happening in this in uh, in that environment, um, you just kind of heighten your uh, your ability to interpret those scenarios um, and give yourself a little bit of an edge in the, the in the fellowship exam. Uh, But I don't think it is stuff that you're going to benefit from learning in the same way as you you need to, obviously, for the core reading. Um, All right. Evening, Dave. Um, I just want to
3: actually add on to the question that was asked earlier about um, quitting work and focusing on studying. Um, So my question is more of an etiquette question. Is it appropriate to study at work? I mean, considering the fact that sometimes you do take work at home and it
1: does cut into your study, <laughs> it does cut into your study timetable. Would it be appropriate then to, you know, study at work when you have free time at work? Uh, that's an impossible question for me to answer without knowing your uh, your circumstances at work. So I would say, the sh- the the short answer to that is, if you are in any doubt, right, what you should be doing is talking to your boss about it. Um, so what I would say is clearly not inappropriate is if you're taking your lunch break and using that to study or you're coming in early to work and using that time to study if you are studying during working hours and you haven't kind of contextualized that for your boss by saying dude i spent the entire weekend working on that uh, that thing we've delivered it to the client and um, you know i now actually i don't have any pressing deadlines so i'm just going to use a couple of hours to, uh, to to study now um You'll probably find that that he or she will be okay with that, but if you if if you haven't done that, you can expect to uh you know to get a couple of raised eyebrows um, so I think it's up to you to to manage that with your uh uh your immediate superiors at the at the office if you were working for me and you told me about it and I understood why I would have no no issue with it but if I was expecting you to be working on a report for a client and I came to your desk and you were knee deep in the F205 notes, I might be asking some questions. All right, thanks. Cool.
0: What's your view on writing communications before completing your CTs?
1: I think that again is one of those finding your own path questions. So I, I think you have to accept that in the communication subject the knowledge from the CTs is assumed knowledge right so if you haven't bedded it down and you happen to get unlucky, you haven't passed CT 8 and they ask you a financial economics related question you're going to be in trouble that's a gamble that you that that you would be taking Um, but having said that uh, you know that I I wouldn't necessarily rule it out Um, sometimes when you are struggling in the exams what can help is just to have a break from what you've been doing you know so you've had a particular CT that you've now failed three times in a row what might be helpful is actually taking a little bit of of a break from that whether that means taking a an exam session off and kind of slowing down your 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 pace and building a building a foundation for the next session or doing something completely different you know taking on uh, communications in that session that's uh that's up to you to decide um, so I, I, as a general general rule um, I would not advise it, but um, you may find that there are individual circumstances in which uh, in which that makes sense, but convince yourself that there are good reasons for for you doing that so I just have one question um, how important is it in choosing the um which ST and fellowship subject you want to do, and also if you just dis- if you see you struggling with this ST, how viable is it to change to a different ST versus just continue until you get it? <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be sick of me saying this by the end of the night, but that's one of those one of those individual things, right? But if you if you have struggled with a particular ST to the point where you are now so sick of it that you don't actually want to even see that material again. Uh, well, you haven't set yourself up for much success in the next exam session, have you? Right? It, might, it might make sense for you to consider a change. By the same token, in making that change, you are, you know, throwing away the hard work that you've done in bedding down most of those, those concepts. So um, I, I would say before you decide to take that, uh, that change of direction, ask yourself, is it about the particular subject? Right? or is it something about my approach to studies, my exam technique? Is there something that I can solve that is likely to lead to a much higher chance of success in this particular exam, okay? Because if, if you can do that, well, that's addressing the root cause, right? Whereas if that's the problem, just switching to another ST is not necessarily going to solve it. So I think you have gotta do the hard yards of introspection as to what exactly is going wrong before you can make an informed call on that i'm busy with the, the f-100s um and a lot of the
3: time where I battle is i see a question it's for 10 marks and i get to four marks Cut. um i've answered the question um being consulting the person who i am it's very much that's the answer there's nothing else to it how would you recommend sort of broadening those four marks to to the ten marks? do you have any thoughts on that yeah,
1: well it, you are looking at a past paper where you have uh, the examiner's kind of model solution to work from, right? So uh, I think the first question you've got to ask yourself is are you missing out on depth? In other words, if you've got the main points there but you just actually haven't explained them in sufficient detail, right? You need to embellish more on what you've actually said or are you missing out on some points? Are there some aspects of the situation that the examiners regard as important that you have ignored or glossed over or not thought of, um, and it's the, the you know the prescription for how to fix that is very different in either of those two two cases. In one case, I- in the first case, it's a it's an exam technique issue, right? That is about this is 10 marks. I've identified the main points, but now I need to figure out uh, this is a discuss question, um, and I have just given you know kind of bullet point type highlights of it. I need to figure out how to say more about each of those such that it meets the the, disc, the discuss objective. In the second case, it may also be an exam technique thing, you know, that you need to figure out how do you, how do you think more broadly, how do you generate the more points, or it may be just um, uh, uh, that the, the full set of knowledge from the notes isn't embedded, right, that you're missing out on some points that you should have made had you had all of the that knowledge in the notes at your, at your fingertips. So I think that's the first question to ask yourself. And that'll, that'll tell you how you go about fixing it. Uh, hi there. I'm still studying my CTs. And I have a problem with the list of calculators approved.
3: Um, I see all the Casios are here from the beginning ones till now.
1: And I'm a Sharp user since mm-hmm. school and throughout my university life. And I've never been a problem with the Sharp, the current Sharp. The only Sharp that's on here is the one that you can't even put a fraction a over b. It's that a copy r symbol b. Why is the shop not here, and who can I plead my case to that there's nothing wrong with the shop? Um, it's not the, the, this, the, 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 the the I am so far removed from being able to help you on this <laughs> one. It's uh, it's frightening. I know. The, prob- uh, the problem yeah. is that that's not an actuarial society rule, right? The fact that we the 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 CTS we use the Institute and Faculty. Um, Exam papers means that we have to follow their rules. So, if you want to take it up, you're going to have to take it up with the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries. I'm afraid um, you can, you know, try and work that request through ASA if if you like. Um, but I would say that you're, you will probably find that your energy is better spent <laughs> on buying a new calculator <laughs> and learning how to use it. Yeah. I uh, I, I don't see much chance of success there. The institute and faculty will tell you that they have very good reasons. I'm sure they don't, but they they will tell you they have very good reasons and they're not going to change it. Thank you. Sure.
4: So I'm also still doing my CTs and then I found that um, when you start working, you get told that you must spend more time on practicing past papers than actually going through the notes. But we all know from Varsity that we actually spend more time studying the notes than actually Practising past papers, so I'd like to find out from you what would you say is um, a realistic time to leave off to practise past papers under normal and under stressed conditions. So Twenty-seven
1: and a half hours. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no answer to that question. Again, it's one you have to figure out for yourself. But the um, the key principle is that you are using those past papers to test your knowledge and your ability to apply that knowledge so if you haven't first invested the time in understanding the theory right you should not be bothering with doing past papers yet you've got to go back and bed down that foundation right don't use it as a substitute for learning the material in the notes that's got to be your first your first port of call sorry i can't uh sorry for the flippant answer but i i can't give you um you know an exact time or a percentage of your time but both of those are important, but the one remember is a foundation for the other. So that's the layer that you've got to build first.
0: Is it advisable to do, say, four past question papers, or um, do them twice? Or, or do I mean, like, do eight past question papers, or do four twice? Would you would you repeat the past question paper? Is that
1: I probably wouldn't repeat a past question paper in. St- the same exam session um, unless there was a very good reason for it. So maybe it was the first one that I did and I realize in retrospect that I was actually horribly unprepared and I would have got 17% for it. And then it's a good yardstick you know, six weeks later if I repeat that, am I now in a much better position? Do I feel much better about the, the material that I've covered? Um, so if it could be useful to you in that context, then I think it's worth considering. But otherwise, you'll probably get more value from looking at a at a different different paper. Oh, okay, thanks. I think there was a question at the back there.
3: Thanks for your talk, Dave. Sure. Um, I'm in my, getting to my later exams now, and I still struggle to get through the course notes quick enough. Um, so you've mentioned uh, diversifying your study methods, and I. Even though I know I need to get through the course notes quick enough, I uh, still struggle to get through them quicker so that I can get to those other...
1: I understand. Yeah, so uh, that diversification, obviously, that can't come at expense of core business, which is making sure you've got through the course notes, right? I'm I'm sort of working on the assumption that, you know, that is a given, and then it's, it's what you can do around that. So, uh, look, I think you have to ask yourself the question of why is it that you're struggling to get through the course notes Right? is it um, that you uh, that you read very slowly or that you read with an emphasis on trying to make sure that you remember everything the first time um, in which case you could change your your approach is it the case that you actually haven't budgeted enough time um, so, uh, I mean, if you think for, for for those later exams, right, the recommended study time is six hundred hours. That's a fair chunk of change. So, have you budgeted enough time to get through those those course notes? You're not going to be able to to do this with, you know, a hundred and fifty hours for 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 a particular subject. It is going to be much more intensive than that. Um, so uh, I think you've got to start by ask, asking yourself the question of why. Um, see if you can get an answer to that and then um, you know, go from there. And if you've, you manage to figure out the why or you need help figuring out the why or you figured out the why and then it's, you know, so what next? Uh, feel free to drop me an email and I'll see if I can, I, I can help you further at, at that point. But I think that's the primary question for you at this stage. Great, thank you. Sure. Hi, uh,
4: my question is more of a career question. Um, one of the points that you mentioned at the beginning is that you need to have a clear vision of where you're going. Um, so I think the answer for me is not that clear. So what <laughs> questions, what methods would you suggest um, exploring, trying to get that answer? Because I feel like often you're expected to know in your twenties where you wanna be and where you wanna head, but you've only been exposed to like a fraction of what's available out there. You've only Maybe studied one subject, you don't know what's available in short-term insurance when you've only done life. Yep. So, uh, what would you suggest would be a reasonable method to try figure that out?
1: That is an excellent question, um, and that's something that I personally have always struggled with. I've never had a particularly clear picture of you know where I want to be in a few years' time. So, I said those are questions you need to to ask yourself it's not necessarily a failing if you if you can't answer that clearly. what I wanted to get at there was if you do have that clear picture of where you want to be, how important are these actuarial exams to actually realizing that okay if you don't have that clear picture, um, that becomes a little bit more difficult question to answer, right but do you at least have a sense that your vision of yourself in future involves being an actuary, whether that's in Short-term of life, or can you not? Can you not answer that that question?
4: <laughs> yes, it does involve being an actuary, but I, I'm just not sure in what area or what field, or if I want to just be a qualified actuary but be more of a business professional, not really um, doing technical
1: work. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you at least have that clear vision that you want to be an actuary and you have the intrinsic motivation that you want to be an actuary um the main question is answered right so you you that that motivation comes from within you know that you you want to be an actuary and the only way to get there is you've got to get through these exams right so you need to find the motivation uh, and find the right approach and technique that is going to get you through them you're not knowing what practice area you want to end up in that's a a career question and it might also be a question that confronts you when you're trying to decide on your fellowship exam but frankly those are relatively minor compared to the the fundamental question of is the road that I'm on the right road for me. That's the, that's the question that I want to make sure that everybody is asking themselves because it's not necessarily the case that because you went to university and got an actuarial science degree because you are now working in an actuarial capacity for an actuarial employer that you necessarily have to be an actuary or even that you necessarily want to be an actuary. And that's a question I think you need to ask yourself because it's only by coming to the the confirmation that yes, I do want to be an actuary, yes, passing these exams is incredibly important to me, that we have a starting point where you you know that you have the motivation and then you can start asking yourself questions about uh, approach to studies and exams. So you're all right, don't worry about it. You. Um, you know, you, you know at least that these exams are important to you. Oh, okay. Any other questions, guys? Going, going. Huh. There we go. To go to Ken Diagram, if I can just combine the relationships with the well-being. Right. right. So you've got your personal, and your yeah. And your study. Yeah. so um I would question your boss's judgment on that with all due with all due respect to him or her um, I think it it comes down to defining for yourself what it means to do each of those things well, and if you are accepting a life in which you have to choose two of those three, I think you're selling yourself short right What you may be hearing there is. You can't do the the amount of work that I expect you to do in this organization and still study and have a a social life. You can't do all of those three. Um, Then you have to ask a question, am I willing to sacrifice one of those other two uh, in order to meet those career aspirations? Or um, is there somewhere else that I need to be um, in, you know, to have a a slightly different sense of what, uh, what career aspirations look like? I don't think that anybody in this room should be settling for a world in which you can't actually have all of those, recognizing that in the short term they're going to be in conflict with each other. There's going to be times when you don't feel fulfilled on one, in one aspect or the other. But in the long term, those are all really important aspects of who we are. Right? And if you're not satisfying all of them to some extent in the long term, you are just not going to feel happy with life. Nobody wants to be in that situation. Going for the last time. Thank you for listening, guys. It's been good talking to you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. So, yeah, I think, I think what most of what Dave has said today is that really the answer is in your own hands. And there's a little, I don't know whether it's a parable or what, that, that my boss used to tell me, that this young man was trying to fool, um, this little boy was trying to fool this old man, and he came to the old man. Uh, holding a bird behind his, his back and said, old man, what am I holding in my hand? And uh, the old man said, you're holding a bird. And then he said, is it dead or alive? And the old man, knowing that if he said it's alive, he would just <laughs> kill it. Or if he said it's dead, then he just let it go free. The old man answered, the answer is in your hands. <laughs> so I leave you with that. And all the best with this session. Let's, let's make it a good one. Thank you, Dave, thank you so much.